Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Levon X podcast. We have a wonderful guest today. We've been trying to talk to her for a while. This is Elisa from Wumina, and I can't wait to hear what she's got in store for the new year. She has just come back from Jeddah, where she was giving a talk. We're going to hear a little bit about that. So lovely to have you with us today and can't wait to hear the news. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, finally, I know that we've been trying to do this for a while, but I think timing is uh, is everything. So I think we chose a perfect time for it. So tell us a little bit about what you were doing in Saudi. I'm sure that was really interesting and uh, we'd love to hear what happened. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was invited to come and speak at a conference. It's called the XP Future Music Conference. And it was all about really exploring the music industry and the, the future of it in the region specifically. And my topic was mostly about the metaverse and what music and music loving and music indulging is going to look like in the metaverse. So I got to be on a really cool panel with some really, really cool people. And we basically had like a great philosophical discussion for about an hour about all of our different uh, definitions of the metaverse and what we think may or may not happen what are the opportunities that come up um in in the music space with this new metaverse uh, uh area that we all get to play in i mean this this metaphor metaverse discussion is i think blowing the minds of a lot of people i think uh, in a way it's a little bit not really understood as to what what is coming um, especially, I mean, we know there's games like Sims and stuff like that, which are sort of virtual simulators, shall we say, of real life. But what is this metaverse and what would you do there as Wamina? Um, and, and how would you find a place in the metaverse? And what is your advice to those who don't understand what it, it, it is? Well, I think the lack of understanding of the metaverse makes total sense. And I think that's one takeaway from Saudi is that it's totally normal. Everybody has a different definition of it. And a lot of people want to immediately go to, you know, the meta and Facebook definition, which is their like weird 3D low res character Sims thing where it's the real world, but it's on in the cloud uh, or what I and a few of the other speakers on the panel were more likely to kind of lean towards is that the metaverse is essentially the digital extension and expansion of the real world. And it's, it, it, we already kind of live in that metaverse. You know, our, our identities are expanding into whatever is on the internet. So people who are listening to this podcast right now probably heard about this episode or found out about me being on this episode from Instagram, their residual self-image on Instagram is them in the metaverse already. And so the debate actually gets to when you remove all of the barriers and you actually think about this next phase of the internet, this new wild, wild west, zero boundaries, zero barriers universe where we're all going to interact, where our the ownership of things is digital. Your existence is, you can look however you want. You can live wherever you want, you know? Snoop Dogg bought a house in, in the metaverse and somebody literally bought a house right next to him so they can say they bought a house next to Snoop Dogg for 500K. 
you know, 500,000 real dollars was spent on a digital asset that may or may not exist in a few years. And, and so we're putting as a society value on this space. It, it doesn't exist and it doesn't have value unless we put, we put our belief into it. So I think the, the, the boundaries are not there yet. They're not defined. The opportunities are endless. You can look at it as if I wanted to have Wamina in the metaverse, I could look at it like, oh, I just want to do events and have people who identify as female in the metaverse come into our space and just copy paste what we do in the real world. Or I can literally have like a crazy virtual reality, fully immersive experience that is Wamina made by like female animators and invite our our Wamina audience to walk through a land that was designed by a female animator as if they're really there, you know, and what the world could look like if a female creative designed it, you know, that that could be really cool. And you charge tickets for it or whatever, you know, you, you so there's a there's literally the possibilities are endless. And that's, that's what no, I was just going to say. So you can actually make money, <laughs> real money off the, uh, off the metaverse, but just like you're saying, you know, if one was to purchase property, I mean, I was on LinkedIn the other day and someone did come up in my, um, in my feed and it was someone that's literally selling property in the metaverse. So, I mean, that, that, that blew my mind. It, I, I just, I didn't know how to digest that information in all honesty. I was just, I don't even know what that means, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and unless I have lots of money to spend, will I be start purchasing, you know, uh, things in the metaverse? However, however, I mean, as you said, it's a large discussion. It's uh, consistently evolving. They're calling it what? Well, a WWW3. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a revolution on its own. Now, if we look at it, because you did literally say to me, we need to put our belief in it for it to work. And this sort of goes back to just currency in general. You know, what is money? Um, if we stopped believing money had value, then money actually genuinely doesn't have value. You know, and yeah. even the gold that is in the banks isn't actually being used to print this cash. Um, it's just sitting there. So even if you have one bar of gold, but you've got a trillion or billion dollars in debt because you printed so much cash, you can't necessarily cover it with the gold. So it is a belief system. Now, do you think that the metaverse has enough power to change um, the belief system of the current population on the planet? Um, and do you think it's more of a niche thing that most digital players would play in? Um, or is it really going to have an effect? I mean, obviously you're from the Middle East, you know that there's, uh, there's areas that are far and wide and you can't even reach them in reality to be able to maybe create awareness, change, especially for women, domestic abuse. Let's, I mean, I, I'm talking human rights here, but how are you gonna even reach those people to even bring them into a metaverse? It's super important to highlight the privilege that's needed to access the space in the first place, right? Uh, like an internet connection. So a big chunk of Lebanon, for example, will not be able to get into the metaverse anytime soon because they, there's, no, there's, there's no strong enough internet that's going to let you go and frolic in a digital space. If you wanna talk about it working or not working based on a belief system, you can look at virtual reality. 
So virtual reality didn't really take off. You know, we had Oculus, but it's expensive. It's bulky. Even when they did Google Cardboard, you were supposed to take your phone and you could take your phone and you put it right in front of your face and then you would slide it into that cardboard thing. But your phone was really like two centimeters away from your face, right? And that's painful. It's not an enjoyable experience to go. It's transformative if it's done well, but it hasn't taken off in the last 10 years, although it's been available for much longer. And so when it comes to the metaverse, I don't think Zuckerberg's metaverse is going to take off in the way that VR also wasn't able to take off. But I think when we are talking about a wider expansion of our reality into a digital space and creating digital environments for people to meet and to join, I think that will work in time. And it kind of has to because COVID is a perfect example for this. Had we had you know, a more functioning and more trusted version of a metaverse landscape at the time when our lockdowns struck, there wouldn't have been such a kind of halt in business or in communication or in connection with other people because we all would have had this kind of third cloud-based space to meet up in, to talk to, 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 to listen to talks in, to connect with, so it, it would it would have made it much easier. And in the future, we're going to have a lot more of these pandemics. We're going to, which sucks, by the way. I'm sorry for anyone listening. But like, you know, if this stuff happens again, for whatever reason, wherever in the world, it, it's an opportunity for us not to be locked down. And I think people are really looking for ways not to feel locked down if they will be in the future. So I think it, the metaverse as an expansion of our current reality is definitely going to take off. Are these people going to be left behind? Probably in part, but not directly. And I think there's always going to be a good couple decades of privileged elite from, you know, superpower countries or more developed Western imperialist like countries that are going to have access to these things that are going to be defining those spaces. And for me, it's not about leaving people behind, but it's about making sure that whenever they do catch up, that there are spaces that allow for them to be included and that the system doesn't represent the current system that we're in. And one of my questions on my panel was just that. One of my questions was, if you're going to have people who can create their entire identities online from scratch, are people still going to choose to be a white man because they think that that gives them more privilege? Or are they going to live out their wildest fantasies and come up with the craziest things that they can come up with to be? Man, it, it, it's it's mind blowing and uh, it's crazy. And I mean, for, especially for people that uh, like us, you know, that work on empowerment, education, creating awareness. We do know that Wamina plays a really large role in doing that for a lot of women in the Middle East. And it is a platform that a lot of uh, women do look to, you know, for news, for updates, for inspiration. And I know myself, you know, if uh, if someone was to contact you with a project, a concept, an idea, um, Wamina does sit that down and does try to help, you know, uh, with funding and stuff like that. So I guess what you're saying, you know, creating these safe spaces where maybe in 15 years where things are advanced in the first world countries and the third world is just sort of, you know, touching it. Um, I think it's places and, and um, organizations like Wamina and Levant X that might have to help, you know, even 
bridge that gap. I mean, it's going to be such a large gap. And an interesting question that just came into my head is we're talking about human rights. Okay. We're talking about domestic abuse. We're talking about all of these different things that are going on. Black lives matter. I mean, the list goes on. How would these things actually be tackled in a digital space like that? Because inevitably we're tackling it now in a digital space. You will find awareness everywhere. You'll see this woke culture and discussions are taking place, but when you do try to translate that onto the ground, you don't see any of that happening. You know, the reality is great. You guys live up there. You're having great conversations. I still can't eat. I'm still being beaten up. I'm still being abused. So do you think that is very disconnecting? There's definitely a huge disconnect. And I think more of a disconnect between uh, Western hyper-connected, uh, you know, perceptions of, of culture and the rest of the world that absorbs that culture, you know, and I'm going to say specifically the US, the US really thinks, and, and a lot of people within the US really look at American centric culture um, as the way the rest of the world either should be or is. Um, and it's the same with Europe. You have this crazy Western superiority complex, Western European superiority complex of where these old societies, we figured it out, everything that we have, worked up until this space means that we know better than everyone and we're more civilized and we're more organized etc 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 i think there's a huge disconnect between really understanding different ways of governing different ways of organizing different ways of educating in different markets and it's up to these grassroots groups like Wamina or like levon x that have to figure out how to at least export their ways of, of operating to maybe the rest of the global South. You know, when it comes to Wamina, we can only do so much within the MENA space. We still call ourselves a global company because actually what we realized was the diaspora from the Middle East was all over the place. And they looked, whether they've even been to the Middle East or not, they might be second generation Lebanese from Detroit or Dearborn, Michigan, you know, and they, want to connect with what's happening in their hometown and they want to understand how can I uh, help educate or help fund or help support what's happening down and that's kind of what we are we are that connector we're not just supporting people on the ground but because we're also coming from privilege where we're able to have multiple languages and multiple communities and we can br bridge that gap it's kind of our responsibility to make sure that they're not they're not left behind. We can't do everything, but we can at least try, you know. I love what you said, you know, it really, as you saw, it brought a smile to my face. And I think people really do need to hear things like this. I mean, there's so much fear mongering in the world right now. I mean, since what, 2000, we've been under uh, terrorist threats or, you know, uh, being attacked by Al Qaeda and then it was ISIS and now it's COVID and now it's the metaverse. And it's just like this continuous I mean, just as a, a normal civilian, you know, what am I having to consistently digest on a daily basis? Where am I going? How am I going to live? You know, I'm, a, I'm just a farmer. I mean, what is this metaverse? Like, how do, how do I get in there? How do I eat? Am I supposed to plant crops over there? Like, what's happening, you know? So I think this, this huge disconnect with, you know, where the metaverse and, and, and where they feel it's going and what's actually taking place in the world, it's so large. Um, and as you said, you know, 
with, with the Western world or first world countries, shall we put them, they tend to not have an issue leaving people behind, which leaves a lot of rubbish to clean up in the end. And, and, that, and that's why organizations like us exist to begin with and NGOs, because we're constantly having to take what was stuck under the carpet, bring it to the surface, clean it, fix it, and be able to move on. So, I mean, it's just added pressure to, to already what I consider a boiling pot, you know, the, the whole world is boiling. Um, well, it can feel like that. I will say yeah. it. it does feel like it because literally like climate change, right? We're literally yeah. warming up, but <laughs> it is really, <laughs> but it is really important to also recognize that like this type of metaverse stuff, this is all distracting from the, the reality, you know, and it's all like, it's a rich kid's playground right now. And so it's not something that we need to really focus on and you can let the people with the boredom and the money and the privilege to go play in that playground for a little bit, because we actually have real work to do on the ground. I, I want to make sure that, you know, I have people that are able to just be represented or be, or see themselves or even believe for half a second that they have choice in their own life. Like I'm trying to get someone to have a belief that they have a voice. That's like such a fundamental psychological rewiring that I'm working towards for for a, a, a generation of young girls that I'm not too, you know, too bothered about how do I bring that in the metaverse? Because whoever's meeting me in the metaverse is kind of, is not my issue. They're not my people right now, you know? But I do have to stay weary because I just want to make sure that whenever we get to a place as a society where we're able to access that metaverse, if it devolves into something, that it's not something that is like all other technological advances, automatically exclusionary to women of color to people of color and women and therefore women of color which is just how innovation and tech evolves so you have to just have one foot in that pot see what's going on make sure that you can you know give a voice and an input just to remind everyone hey yeah by the way you should maybe check that if this happens people of color or women are also allowed to come in or it doesn't become filled with trolls or it doesn't become a place of abuse and and negativity that can that can hurt us but you also have to be weary that actually hey in the real world right now when we're stuck at home for another lockdown and we're in that lockdown and people are going and talking about being in the metaverse and how amazing it is there is still a spike in domestic abuse cases because women are suffering at the hands, mostly women are suffering at the hands of their abusive partners. And so how actually can we get to those women and help get them out of those situations? That's more important to me. I completely and utterly agree with you. And being that bridge is the only way to be able to create change and create evolutionary change, educating those that don't necessarily know, and also educating those who know to keep you know, aware of this situation. I mean, we do see a lot of cyberbullying. We see a lot of trolling. We see a lot of this already taking place in uh, WWW2 <laughs> that we live in, in this day and age. Now, how could... I, it's something like that be regulated um, in the metaverse? I mean, I, I know you don't have all the answers, but I think this is really the first time I've sat down with someone to have a discussion like this. Um, and as I said, I think it's an, an, on a lot of our minds and, and you do see a lot of people Googling, what is metaverse? You know, where is metaverse? What is, you know, how do I enter the metaverse? You have NFTs and cryptocurrency and it, I mean, there's so much to take in. 
Like, are we going to be paying with dollars and pounds or are we going to be paying with Ethereum and Bitcoin and Ripple and blah, 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 blah. So how do we keep the metaverse a safe space? You know, what job do these large tech players really have instead of just creating, shall we say, more damage? I think it is very important to at least start having these conversations because we're all already in the metaverse. Even Sweden, people don't even use cash in Sweden. They haven't even seen cash, which means they're purely operating on your card, your Apple Pay, your digital currency. Have you seen your currency in physical form? No, it is therefore digital. You know what I mean? Like it's not backed by blockchain, but it is digital. And so the world that we live in is digital. Every aspect of this digital world is part of that metaverse. You're already in it. The question is, as you said, what type of responsibilities do we have to help create frameworks for safety? And the reality is I don't have the answers to that. Even those people with the most amount of money and resources to find the answers to that don't have the answers to that. You know, you can put age restrictions that doesn't stop young kids from getting online. You can put uh, IP restrictions that doesn't stop offenders from getting online. They can just get a new phone or they can get a new internet router. You can just like, you can limit certain keywords and just automatically delete those comments, but that doesn't stop those people from being in the real world and actually having those feelings, those sentiments and that hatred fueled and perpetuated by whatever content that they're reading and potentially act in the real world. So there are, there isn't an answer to that. I think it's mostly about looking like right now, this whole um, whistleblower at Facebook, I think her name is Frances, Frances uh, Hogan. And she, it was very important to highlight that one of the key issues she brought up was the increased mental um, effect towards young women, negative mental health effects that Facebook and Instagram and social media in particular have towards young teenage girls and their self-image. And it, may, it, it, it will affect how they see themselves, how they act towards themselves and act towards each other. And they don't even have an answer to how to fix that. But I think all it is, is really like, if you put money, you put resources towards a legitimate solution, you will find that solution. And the biggest, the biggest, biggest, biggest tool for fighting bigotry and hatred anywhere in the world is education and exposure. And most countries do not invest enough in education point blank. They just don't. And if they do, it's a limited scope of education. Even in these European countries that have massive budgets for education, their scope of education for the Eastern part of the world or the global South is quite small. And that's why you see these big movements of nationalism kind of sweeping through. So it's really about investing in education. And if we can't count on the tech companies and we can't count on the governments, then it's up to each person to educate each other, to educate ourselves, to go the extra mile, to educate our kids, our cousins, our siblings, our nieces, our nephews, whoever, and, and really try to kind of like broaden people's minds because it's kind of in our hands at the end of the day. Again, I was gonna give you a chance, you know, to speak to our audience. And I think you really said everything you needed to say in that last comment. Hey. <laughs> Um, Elisa, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you with us today. But just before we go, since you have left us with some inspirational words, it would be cool to hear, you know, what is Wumina got coming up in the new year? 
Oh my God. We just went through a whole content calendar. We have, uh, we have a lot coming up in the new year. We're going to have a second season of our Talk of Shame podcast, which uh, was hosted by the amazing Ali Amoro. We basically dismantle the concept of shame in, in the region, in our lives. And we want to truly really understand how shame affects the Middle Easterner and the Middle Eastern woman specifically. Um, we have a new podcast coming out uh, all about relationships in the region and kind of dissecting the taboos around that. And then we also have a few short films that we've produced or that we will be producing that are already ready and coming out or that we'll be filming. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of really cool stuff, but everybody should just follow us on all the social media channels on Instagram and YouTube at Wamina. And then you can keep up with all of it. I think, I think she said it again. She said everything I was going to. So <laughs> <laughs> do follow Wamina, check out what they've been up to. I'm super excited to see the short films. I mean, I will have a long chat in the new year with Elisa. We have some plans that I'm looking into and would like to collaborate with Wamina on. Also head to the Levant X website, click the donate button and become a member get the rights to some really cool exclusive content, or you can make a one-time donation. So Lisa, it's been great to have you. I'm so happy to have finally got you on the podcast. I can't wait for what's coming in the new year. So much love. Thanks so much for having me.